Hello, I'm Alec and this is Scandal 101. We interrupt your regularly broadcasted program for an update with Alec in the recording studio. Wow, thank you so much for that intro, Alec. It was wonderful. (laughs) As you probably know, I normally put out episodes on Friday, and this one is coming out on a Monday, so you're probably like, what? Alec, what are you doing? You're so crazy and quirky and funny and just smart. And I'm like, thank you so much, but that's not what's happening. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I've wanted to give some updates on past scandals that I've done episodes about, and I didn't really have the time to do it with school being so busy, but I'm on spring break, and it's been like nine months since I started this podcast, so it's been going for quite a while now, and I just posted episode 44 on Friday, so there are some updates with various scandals that I've covered, and so that's what this episode is. And how it's going to work, it's pretty simple. I'm going to tell you briefly about the scandal so you can just be refreshed about what the scandal was. I recommend you listen to all the episodes before this one just so that way you know the updates that I'm talking about so you've listened to the episode but if you don't want to you do what you want you're a free person but I'm going to give a brief summary of the episode so you can be refreshed about what happened and then I'm going to give you any relevant updates that have happened since then I'm not going to go through all 44 episodes because not all of them have updates I'm only going to go through the ones that have real legitimate kind of meaningful updates And so the first one that I'm going to talk about is the Iowa lottery scandal. And this was episode two and three of the podcast way back at the beginning when I had no personality and no sense of humor. And I probably still don't, but I think I have a little more. (laughs) But so a brief summary about what happened in this case is that someone in Iowa won the lottery And they tried to claim their winning ticket like right before the deadline approached. Things seemed suspicious, it was investigated, and it turned out that Eddie Tipton, a man who worked to write code for the lottery system, wrote code that allowed him to understand or predict the winning numbers. He then gave the winning numbers to others who then split the profits with him. So basically he found out a way to cheat the lottery system. Where we left off in the case is he was sentenced to 25 years and on January 20th, 2022, the Iowa Parole Board decided that Eddie could be released after serving five years of his sentence. The board allowed him to go to Texas, but there, as of now, Wednesday, March 16th, when I'm recording this, there is no exact date for his release, and at the time of this recording, and according to the Iowa Department of Corrections website, it says that he is still serving in the Iowa Corrections System in Clorinda, Iowa. The next update is Steve King. I covered Steve King in episode 7, and this episode looked at the former congressman and various things that he had said during his time as a representative that garnered a lot of pushback and a lot of controversy. An update on him is he released a book in October 2021 that discusses what he calls a, quote, massive conspiracy, end quote, to end his political career. In an interview, he said that, quote, 
maybe some people on that upper echelon who who might get their tail feather singed a little bit in this book will reset themselves and go back to being the decent human beings I knew before they did this, end quote. He lays out in his book how things, quote, started to melt down, end quote, for him right before the 2018 election after he met with members of a Hungarian political party associated with the neo-Nazi movement, which is something that I talked about in episode 7. He said that part of his motivation for publishing his book is so his grandchildren can read about him in his own words rather than, quote, the 41 pages on Wikipedia, end quote. And to that I say I definitely understand you wanting to tell your story to your grandchildren, but things about your life being reported in the news, especially your political career, it's reported in many places, it doesn't mean what you did wasn't controversial. It doesn't mean like you're a public figure, so people are going to write things about you. So I understand you wanting to put your own words on it, but I don't really know how you can make meeting with members of a neo-Nazi movement look good or how you can justify that. But that was his motivation for publishing the book. And there you go. That's Steve King's update. All right, our next update is the British Museum, and that was a two-part episode, but in episode 10, which was part two of the British Museum and Stolen Artifacts episode, I talked about one set of artifacts, the Benin Bronzes, and to do a quick recap uh, specifically about the Benin Bronzes, British soldiers invaded and stole these artifacts from Benin, a city in Nigeria, and at the time, it was the Kingdom of Benin. Some photos I posted from that case, it was a historical photo that was taken of British soldiers with artifacts, and on the photo, it had the word loot written on it. So it seems like Someone who took the photo at the time was like, yeah, looting, woohoo. As an update to the episode and that specific artifact, two Benin bronzes were returned to a traditional plate to a traditional palace in Nigeria, which is awesome. However, the Benin bronzes did not come from the British Museum, but they came from the University of Aberdeen and Cambridge University's Jesus College. They were handed over back in October of 2021, but it took a while to get back there, but they are finally back in Nigeria as of 2022 in February. So even though the bronzes didn't come from the British Museum, we talked about the Benin bronzes and Nigeria got two really important artifacts back, which is awesome. The next update has to do with the Volkswagen emission scandal, which I talked about in episode 12 and 13. And the gist of what happened is Volkswagen found out ways to get around emission standards and regulations by cheating on the tests to make the emissions on the test within the required amount, but then it wasn't actually within the required amount with the cars that were out on the road. There were many cars and individuals that were impacted, including their subsidiary companies such as Audi. So it wasn't just Volkswagen. Volkswagen owns a bunch of brands such as Audi, so a lot of cars were impacted by this. In December of 2021, a lawsuit reached the High Court in the UK in which more than 90,000 claimants are seeking compensation after buying a vehicle from Volkswagen to then later find out that it was producing way more emissions than it should have been. The suit, it was initiated in 2019, and it's now getting some big attention, and depending on the ruling, Volkswagen could have to pay a lot of money, or their payment could be minimal or nothing at all. 
A quote about this case from an article I read, quote, Whilst in many other jurisdictions, Volkswagen has admitted cheating emissions tests and paid out billions of pounds in fines and settlements, they nevertheless continue to fight this drawn-out legal battle in the UK and, rather than taking the sensible approach and seeking to resolve these matters, have opted to bring an application seeking to dismiss some of the claims made by our clients, end quote. And this quote comes from the lawyer representing the claimants and says that ruling for the claimants would send an important message to manufacturers about ensuring that they do not cheat their customers or the manufacturing process going forward. The next episode is the episode I did about tampering with Halloween candy, which is episode 23. And in that episode, I talked about when it started, is it legitimate, and that while yes, there have been a few legitimate instances of people tampering with Halloween candy, for the most part, all of the claims are unsubstantiated and likely just parents wanting attention. And it kind of seems like that was the case this past year in 2021, a parent wanting attention. In Hillsborough County in Florida, a mother called the police claiming that her daughter had bitten into a 100 grand minibar and that her mouth was cut by an X-Acto blade stuck into the chocolate. The mom had said that the candy was wrapped and sealed before the daughter had opened it. The sheriff of the county then shared a post on Facebook about it saying, quote, it is despicable that someone would tamper with a child's Halloween candy for their own cruel enjoyment, end quote. And then the post itself was shared around 750 times. After the post was shared and likely instilled a lot of fear in parents, it was confirmed that there was no blade found in the candy or the piece of candy was talked about at all. So they didn't even find this piece of candy. There were no pictures provided and the mother said that she threw away the piece of candy. Nice. Convenient. The sheriff's office later said that, quote, When someone files a report alleging that they were stabbed, shot, or otherwise injured, similar comments have been made by our office regarding the heinous act of violence. Despite the investigation being ongoing, we give victims the benefit of the doubt, end quote. In an article I read about it, they said that the investigation was ongoing, but I couldn't find another update as to whether the claim was true or false, but my guess is, since there wasn't an update confirming that there was a blade in the candy, my guess is that it was a false claim and the mom was just doing it for attention. My thoughts on this is that I definitely respect the sheriff's office wanting to believe the victim, wanting to give the victim the benefit of the doubt, but sharing it out on social media seems pretty irresponsible to me. I think that a generic warning should have been put out, such as, hey, remember Halloween candy is always a time to practice being a safe parent and checking just to make sure, like, they could have put out something generic rather than saying, this mom found a razor blade or an X-Acto blade in this child's candy, so you need to check all your candy when there were no photos, the candy wasn't brought to the office, like they had nothing other than the mother's word. And while yes, believing victims is important, when it comes to the topic of Halloween candy, it is such a falsely claimed instance with almost no proof ever. And a lot of them just turn out to be hoaxes. So I would think that as a law enforcement office, you would know that, okay, maybe we should approach this with some hesitancy. I couldn't find anything else about it. So my guess is it turned out to be fake and the office was just kind of like, oh, let's just not talk about that anymore. So 
Again, just reinforcing that it is really not a problem if you are a parent and you want to check your kid's Halloween candy, by all means do so. I'm not trying to discourage anyone from doing that, but it's not a very common occurrence. Most of the claims that you hear are fake. It's not a real problem. It does happen, but it's not a real problem, so don't think of it as some big epidemic because it's not. <laughs> it's fake most of the time. Alrighty, the next episode with an update is episode 24, which discussed child brides in the United States. And in that episode, I covered the unfortunate reality of child brides in the United States. There are children as young as 10 that sometimes get married off to adults. And the update is that there is an interesting study that came out from Canadian researchers at McGill University finding that child marriage laws in the United States violate 14 states' statutory rape laws. Quoting from the article, researchers, quote, poisted that some states who exempted sex between married spouses from their definition of statutory rape may create perversive incentives for child marriage, end quote. So basically what this study is saying, and I think I talked about it in, in the episode, is that a lot of these states that allow for child marriage and then also have statutory rape laws, and a statutory rape law is that you have to be 16-year-old to have, you know, just as an example, you have to be 16-year-old to have sex. And if someone that is an adult has someone has sex with someone that's 15, even if they thought they were 16, doesn't matter, that's statutory rape. Some states have different laws, some states are 18, some states are 15, some states are 16, but the statutory rape law is basically there to protect children, and if children are unfortunately the victims of sexual abuse, the statutory rape laws can help protect those children. However, states that allow for child marriage often have an exemption for marriage, so if a 14-year-old gets married off to a 24-year-old and they have sex and regardless of whether the child consents or not, that is statutory rape by law, but there's an exemption for people who are married. And so what the study is saying is that not only does it violate the law, but it may create an incentive for people to get married to children because if they are wanting to have sex with children, as long as they're married to the child, they can do it and it's not illegal because of the exemption. A quote from the article I thought was good is, quote, the study notes that most research on child marriage is conducted in low- and middle-income countries such as Africa and South Asia, where the motivations for the practice is usually resource-based. However, the drivers of child marriage in the, in the U.S. are not well understood or studied. Some girls marry to avoid having their intimate partners charged with crimes related to sexual activity with children, often referred to as statutory rape, the researchers wrote, citing the case of an Idaho girl who became pregnant at the age of 14 and her family encouraged her to marry her then 24-year-old boyfriend in an attempt to avoid having the father of her child jailed on a statutory rape charge, end quote. So this study in this article pointed out that it seems like a motivation for child marriage in the United States could simply be because people want to have sex with children and because the child marriage laws in the United States allow for those exemptions or there's those exemptions to statutory rape that it creates that incentive, which is disgusting. One other update I have relating to this case is I saw that Maryland is attempting to outlaw child marriage, but at the time of this recording, it had not been passed yet. 
And so we'll see what happens. I think if I'm remembering right, there are only six states that completely ban marriage until 18. And so I think Maryland would be number seven if it did pass. But as of the recording, March 16th, it has not passed yet. Alrighty, the next update is Ireland mother and baby home scandal. So in episode 25, I covered Ireland's mother and baby home scandal. This episode looked at how Ireland and the Catholic Church essentially shunned pregnant unmarried women into homes where they were often abused, there were many children who died, and a lot of damage was done because, you know, an unmarried pregnant woman was just the worst, absolutely worst thing in the world. (sighs) Give me a break. Thanks, Catholic Church. During this abuse, there was an abuse of over 56,000 women and around 9,000 children that died. And part of the horrible details was that a lot of these children who died, they were buried in like sewage tanks in the ground. They weren't given their own burial plot. They weren't even really like given a plot. They were just put in this sewage tank under the ground and then like hidden essentially. So the update is that at the end of February 2022, the Irish government approved a bill that permits the exhumation, DNA identification, and proper burial of remains that were buried at Ireland's mother and baby homes. This bill, it will allow for potential family members to volunteer DNA, and then it will see if their DNA matches any of the remains discovered at the homes. It then allows the remains that are found at the homes to go to the family so a proper burial can take place. This bill is also not site-specific, so in the episode we talked about there were many different homes. Some of the worst ones were Chwam, but it applies to all of them. So not just Chwam, not just all the other horrible ones, but it applies to every single mother and baby home. And I think this is definitely a step in the right direction. It's going to allow for people to be reunited with their family members' remains and to give them a proper place to be buried. And so they're not just sitting in a sewage tank forgotten under the ground because these Irish mother-baby homes put them there. Another update relating to this episode is police are investigating claims from individuals who were in the homes to do a criminal investigation. Police are specifically looking into any potential physical and sexual abuse that probably happened in the homes. People who choose to come forward are having their accounts recorded by detectives in a private manner so their claims can be investigated. And so they can also ensure that people who haven't spoken up about this, people who have been you know, sitting with this trauma, they have a place to come forward to tell their story and that it will be looked into. One detective about this said, quote, we don't want anyone to feel like they have to suffer in silence anymore, and we will continue to do all we can to reach as many people with this message as possible. If you were the victim of abuse in these homes or know somebody who was, or if you witnessed criminal activity take place, please contact us end quote. And the contact information for this organization that is investigating this, because there are a lot of Ireland listeners and a lot of UK listeners who listen to this podcast. So if you were a victim, if you know someone who was a victim, or if you saw anything, you can reach out to the mother and baby homes at Magdalene Laundry's investigative team. You can call 02890- 901728 or you can email mother baby homes 
dot M-A-G-D-A-L-E-N-E-L-A-U-N-D-R-I-E-S at psni.police.uk. If by some crazy coincidence, someone who is listening to this podcast saw something, was a victim, or know somebody who was a victim, you can reach out to that organization with that email or that phone number, and I'm sure they will get back to you and figure out how to have an interview with you. The next update I have is in regarding to episode 28, which is the Flint, Michigan water crisis. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, but as a brief overview, the city of Flint, Michigan was essentially poisoned after their water was switched from water sources and it was contaminated through lead pipes. And so the update to this episode is there is a civil lawsuit going on that says government officials not their employees, were responsible for the crisis. A quote from one attorney says, quote, The Flint water crisis was a massive failure of government, from the politicians at the very top of the state government, including then-Governor Snyder himself and members of his senior staff to the bureaucrats on the ground in Flint, end quote. And the update, and so there's an update to that update, is that former Governor Rick Snyder and four other government officials say that they wish not to testify at the trial because if they do, or if they're required to testify, they may invoke their Fifth Amendment right not to self-incriminate. A federal judge says that she will consider the request not to testify at trial, so we'll see how that goes. And this is a civil trial, not a criminal trial, so even if the government officials are found guilty, they will not be going to jail, but rather they will be required to pay money. I do think it's quite telling that the government officials don't want to testify because they think they're going to self-incriminate, and to me, that makes it sound like they know that they're guilty, but we'll see if they are allowed to testify or not testify. And it sounds like if they have to testify, then they are going to invoke their Fifth Amendment right. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. The last update I have has to do with episode 33, which is the New Year's Eve attacks in 2015 in Germany. And a listener named Yosef sent this email and it provides some perspective by someone who followed this as it happened and is familiar with it. So I just want to read it and here's his email. So thank you for sending it in. I followed that event in real time because my wife is German. I hear your your angle for the sexual assault and I agree. I will say that if a bunch of places around America said that only immigrants were raping people, we would meet those reports with skepticism. I believe that the alt-right rose up in the Bundestag, the German government, because of the strong backlash that Merkel got from bringing in the refugees. The same reports from all over Germany made me think that the alt-right was calling in with the same report. In Germany, you aren't allowed to film people without their consent, so there was no real video of these big groups of drunk rapists, to my knowledge. This event led to Merkel putting forth laws that made Twitter and Facebook responsible for hate speech and politicians running with the ideas that all Muslims are rapists. It was pretty harsh for my wife because I'm black and she tells me that the Germans aren't racist. But the truth is that they are racist, but they try to keep it in-house because of the Holocaust. He then attached, uh, this is not quoting, but he then attached an interesting article in the email where the alt-right get mad at the police for wishing people Happy New Year in a different language, which it's like, bro, they're just trying to be inclusive. That's like the whole thing with Happy Holidays and Merry Christmas. Like, 
saying happy holidays is more inclusive. It includes Christmas, but it also includes the other holidays that happen around that time period. Saying happy holidays doesn't mean they're trying to get rid of Christmas. It doesn't mean they're trying to diminish Christmas. Like what bullshit argument is that? It's just that people are being more inclusive of other holidays. So what? <laughs> Whenever people say, oh, it's the war on Christmas, I'm like, does it hurt for you to try and be more inclusive? It has literally no impact on you and it's helping be inclusive of other people's holidays that they celebrate because newsflash, not everyone's Christian, not everyone celebrates Christmas. So by saying happy holidays, you're recognizing that I recognize there are other holidays, including Christmas. So Christmas is wrapped up. Ugh, whatever. Okay, so... Back to the email, the AFD also started suggesting concentration camps for the immigrants and special words, which is what happened in some places. There was already a big Turkish population there, so you know how it works. There was no other side in your podcast except that plant dudes that excused rape. Like, even if the rapes happened with that percentage, why would he say that? And so I think with that, he's talking about the, the potentially there were people that were staged. I think that's what that email is talking about. And then he continues, so that's another angle to, for it to be looked at. If the women said in that meeting that the stats are the same with normal citizens every year, then the question is, did the German men just stay home? It's a little sus. Also, Stuttgart or Stuttgart, I've heard both, and Dusseldorf, and Cologne is Cologne. Oh, just correcting pronunciation. Thank you, because I'm sure I butchered it. I'm enjoying your podcast. Keep up the great work. Thank you for making it. You're welcome. Thank I'm glad you're enjoying it. Okay, so that one is, that email I find super interesting because it is potentially saying that this horrific experience that many women faced could be a potential conspiracy from the alt-right supporters in Germany because they were unhappy with Chancellor Merkel's uh, immigration policies at the time. And so they staged this to make it seem like immigrants were coming in and raping people when in fact that isn't what was happening. And they filed these false reports so there would be backlash. And then also on top of that, if you're not allowed to film people without their consent, that also provides why there isn't a lot of footage, which would also help aid that theory. Hmm, that's interesting. I really appreciate your email because I had no idea about that and did not find that in any of my sources. So thank you so much for sending that in. That is very, very informative and enlightening and an interesting twist on what is a horrible situation and Either way, it's a horrible situation because one, all of these women were assaulted or two, I guess three options. One, the women were assaulted by groups of potentially immigrants. Two, the women were assaulted by men and then the reports were called in to blame immigrants when the assaulters were not. Or three, there really were no attacks and the reports were faked and staged to make it seem like immigrants were ruining the country and as a backlash to the policy. So either way, there was a horrible situation. Thank you for the email. I appreciate it. And with that, that kind of concludes the updates that I have. I do want to mention that I don't have an update on the Torrance California Police Department episode. That was episode 37 and it covered a police department in California 
that had a racist, sexist, homophobic group chat for years, and in the group chat, officers admitted to racially profiling individuals and also just making disgusting remarks. So unfortunately, no updates as to that situation, and I'm sure hopefully we'll see one soon. And with that, that concludes this update episode. I hope you found these updates interesting. Um, It was interesting to look back at the episodes that I have done so far, and then also seeing any updates that have happened with it. I imagine that I will probably do one of these episodes maybe like every, I don't know, nine or ten months as I put out more episodes because updates are interesting. So thanks so much for listening to the podcast, supporting it. It's It'll be a year in like June, which is crazy that it's almost been a year. And it's cool that I've done enough episodes now to have an update episode on different things because I started this literally in one day, just on a whim. I was like, I kind of want to do a podcast. And then I put out the episode the next day. So it's, it's cool to look back and to see all of the work that I put in. And it's also cool that people are listening and seemingly enjoying it. So I appreciate listening. I hope you enjoyed this update episode. There will be a regular episode coming out this Friday. This has been the first Scandal update episode of Scandal 101.